Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. When I gave everything up, God, it was a painful shock to meet myself as if I had disappeared aged 19 and re-emerged aged 27 and gone, oh my God, here you are. It's me. Holy crap. We're alive. We're here. We don't have to do comedy. We don't have to be famous. We don't... You just Al. A few years ago, Al Porter was one of Ireland's most rapidly rising stars in the entertainment world. I can attest to this because I witnessed it myself. Um, he was on the same radio station as, as me, Today FM, in which he had a starring role on the Twelve uh, Midday Show. But he also was on TV all the time. You couldn't um, blink, but Al was on The Late Late Show. He had his own blind date type show on Virgin. He um, was on stage as the youngest ever headliner, age 21, at Vicker Street. Um, He had been the dame in the Olympia uh, in a panto he had uh, produced and directed for years previous to that, even at such a young age. But even at that young age, it all suddenly fell apart for Al. Al was accused of sexual misconduct and inappropriate behaviour at the height of the Me Too movement. He was accused of groping a patient in a psychiatric hospital. However, a hospital cleared him of this, concluding he uninvitedly kissed the complainant on the cheek in a pose for a photograph. A sexual assault claim, which was later withdrawn by the DPP, was made to Gardaí. But the damage left Al's life, career and reputation in tatters. Now, years later... And after several years of self-reflection and analysis and some serious work on himself to get sober, Al is back. He's selling out venues with his new stand-up show, supporting great comedians like Reginald D. Hunter. And he's off the booze and looking and feeling great. Um, I had asked Al um, to be on my podcast over two years ago, but he didn't feel maybe it was the right place and the right time at that time. But now he has decided um, to appear. Um, We met up in the studio earlier this week and over the course of almost two hours and in a fascinating conversation, Al told me the full story about the last few years that he spent out of the public eye and how he has got himself uh, back on track. When something like that happens, it affects everybody around you and it's not their shit to deal with. I wanted to just make it as simple for everybody as possible. Nobody asked me to resign I just immediately said I'm gone I used to hear people talking about me through the floorboards as if I was dead a year two years in I'm going through one of my depressive periods up in bed I heard them saying to her you know stuff like uh, God love you Marion he was so young had his whole life ahead of him taken too quick and she's going yeah yeah and my favourite was the time someone said to her oh Marion what a waste of a life and she said ah yeah but he's up there somewhere (laughs) That's funny. In naivety and in ignorance, I couldn't have predicted that six years later would be when I would be, you know, tentatively getting back on stage. That it would be such a long time. And in many ways, it's more than a career break. It's a second life. The person I was, okay, that's me, but I don't necessarily relate to him anymore. Part one of this open, honest And I have to say, very, very, very funny chat with Al Porter is coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. But first, ah, 
the World Cup rugby all over. Johnny Sexton retired. The great Johnny is gone. What will Johnny Sexton do? Well, the Mario Rosenstock podcast has had exclusive access to Johnny's emails. Hi, you've reached the voicemail of Johnny Sexton. Leave a message after the whistle. Hi, Johnny. It's Miriam O'Callaghan here. How are you? Um, I'd really love it if you could come on Miriam Meets um, this Sunday if you were available, which I think you are. Um, I think people would really love to hear you, you know, and your emotional sort of well-being. I think people would love to hear you cry. I think I could make that happen, Johnny. Genuinely. Give us a call. Hello, Johnny. Pascal Donoghue here. Congratulations on a fantastic first career in rugby. However, I believe you have a fantastic second chapter ahead of you in politics, would you believe? Uh, Fine Gael would like if you could call them regarding running for the Dublin 6 constituency at the next election, which we believe might be imminent. Thank you. Hi, Johnny. Uh, Marty Morrissey here. How you doing? Idea for show. Johnny Sexton and Marty Morrissey drive around the west coast of Ireland in a Renault Megane, sorry, maybe not, a Ford Sierra for two weeks. Can you imagine the crack? <laughs> Call me. <laughs> go on, go on, he's on. Go on, go on. Johnny, Johnny, it, Johnny, it's, it's oh. the two Johnnies here. Johnny B. And Johnny Smack there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we have a great idea, right? Oh, Wait, would, you, would you join us on tour, Johnny, right? Yeah. We're going to try this thing called the Three Johnnies, okay? Three Johnnies. So it's us two Johnnies, yeah. right? And your Johnny. It's 33% more crack, okay? <laughs> you're some crack, Johnny, I tell you. It's yours to be great. It, it'd, be like, it'd be like the three tenors for boggers. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> love us. Fuck off, you fucking maddie whore. <laughs> the Three Johnnies is, uh, hmm, it could be an acquired taste. Uh, we'll see. And you get award-winning um, comedy exclusives uh, for loyal listeners to this podcast, just like you, every week on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And thank you all for listening to this podcast. Tell one other person, if you can, um, if you like this podcast, about this podcast. So, Al Porter has been waiting a long time to get back on the horse and do what he does best, talk and make people laugh. So let's not keep him waiting any longer. Al Porter. Mario Rosenstock. How are you? I'm good, actually. I'm good. Go on. Yeah. So well, where are you? Where are you coming from? Where I are you just back did. From? Well, and today I'm just back from the Galway Comedy Festival. Mm. So that was fantastic. Uh, and that's the first big festival I've done, you know, well, in years. This year, obviously, but then in six years in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, you have a little niggle in your head. Uh, do people want to work with me or, you know, how will people react to me mm. or how's it going to be? But it was, I need not have worried. It was fantastic. Okay. And Well, look, I think I speak for a lot of people um, when I say, I think a lot of people are delighted to see that you're back. To see this young man with great talent who kind of disappeared off the scene and now he is back. And a lot of people are very happy about that. Yeah, I think people are... People are kinder than you'd expect. They're certainly kinder in person than they are on the internet, maybe. And and also, I mean, look, every society at the moment, there is, we have a tendency, the media 
moves very quickly and we rush to condemnation and we do headlines and we don't read the article and we do clickbait and we make a judgment on somebody and we move on because we're all busy and we've other things to be doing <laughs> and you know is he in the dog crap pile yeah. okay throw him in the dog crap pile yeah. fine and that's that and I totally understand that however in Ireland in particular I think we also uh, are very forgiving and uh, not necessarily forgiving as much as we are open to the idea of second chances or third chances. Uh, so long as somebody is showing us, you know, listen, they get it. They seem to have gotten their act together. Mm. You know, Irish people, they do like that. They do like when you go, right, well, did you get yourself right? Mm. Did you get off the drink? Did mm. you get yourself sorted? Mm. Are you trying again? Do you know you were a pain in the arse? Mm. Do you know mm. that you were... And people can be very... Very accepting. The audiences have been great mm. and the other comedians have been wonderful. And the other comedians are maybe working with me on the basis of, well, look, surely he's not going to mess up his second chance. But let's let's see mm. what he's like when we meet him. Mm. And uh, and I think they're glad when they do meet me, they're glad to go, OK, it's not some kind of a, a Machiavellian PR stunt mm. uh, pretend change of character or anything like that he's done it for real he's very different to the fella that I remember and and I'm happy to work with him and people people have been really good I worked with Barry Murphy and John Bishop this weekend and and Rich Hall and Milton Jones and it was just Reginald D. Hunter Reg, I love I love yeah. Reginald D. Hunter yeah I love Reg I have my own particular story of Reginald D. Hunter I had a, a great honour years ago that I am um, uh, I it, after my first Gift Grub live show, uh, they asked me if I would headline the Electric Picnic. Oh yeah! And Electric Picnic is a, is a big special festival, yes. and you do this headline thing where loads of comedians, great comedians, start at two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. four o'clock in the afternoon, until it gets to the headline. Farcically, who it might be, whoever at eight o'clock who's supposed to be, you know, the headline. Yeah, yeah. Now I was the headliner, right? And there was all these fantastic comedians before me, you know. Um, you know, but uh, you're a draw. Ah, right? hang on. You're a draw. But, well, at he's this a, time, he's a hit. Look well, at this guy. Anyway, look at him baiting but, me. Talk about fishing. No, but there I didn't. I, did, I didn't want to. I, did, I, I wanted to emphasise how brilliant they were. But anyway, the second last guy on was a guy I had already loved called Reginald D. Hunter. Oh, yeah. And he was already proving a storm in Ireland. You know, that kind of lifluous, uh, honey honey voice of his. The, it's black velvet, isn't it? It it's is black velvet. And yeah. also his his um, his understanding, his quick understanding of Irish culture yeah. as well and his comparisons with American culture. And um, I was shivering with fear outside this tent at the back. And I was dressed in my Roy Keane Manchester United outfit, ready to walk <laughs> on in my shorts. And there's 2,000 people sitting on the ground in a tent. And I can just hear through the tent Reginald D. Hunter slaying them. Yeah. All I can hear is... I know. <sighs> I know. And he has such a... <laughs> and everybody going... <sighs> and they're, oh, Jesus, I'm going to die off this guy, right? <laughs> Following this guy. So anyway, he comes out, yeah. doesn't know who I am. The back tent, there's nobody there. He walks down the stage and he's. I, I'm smoking a cigarette. And he looks at me, he doesn't know who I am. And he goes, what the fuck is Gift Grub anyway, man? <laughs> Because he'd heard this thing yeah. called Gift Grub was going okay. to happen. And he was just there, what the fuck is Gift Grub? I didn't know you could curse on this podcast. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. Jesus, yeah. you've surprised me there. But yo, you every comic has that insecurity. Mm. I mean, surely that doubt is it's a healthy doubt. I'm not as good as the other comics, or the other comics that they're gonna they won't like me as much as they like yeah, him. It's normal. And 
it, that can happen. That it's can happen. Same with footballers. Because, if you watch Beckham when he talks yeah. about going into the Real Madrid uh, dressing room and he's going, I don't even know if I can kick a ball today yeah. because I'm yeah. looking at Zidane. But yeah. anyway, what I wanted to get to, Al, was you're back and you've been back for a while and I've been following you for a while on Facebook and everything, your early gigs and some small yeah. gigs you've been what doing. what a mad year. Yeah. And you look great, right? Thank so you. You look physically rather different to the Al that I knew before. And it was funny because the Al that I knew before, of course, was a very young man. Gorgeous. Very young man. And now, of course... Very handsome, I remember. And you're still a very young man, but you're svelte and slim. uh, Not Mm. that you weren't. Ah, no, Mario, I have have lost a bit of weight. You know, I am maybe too thin at this stage. Well, I don't know. I yo-yoed. You see, I got to a point where... uh, you see, I, I thought, OK, I'm going to walk away from all my work, you know, back in 2017. Uh, that's very well documented. Now, maybe I would have been pushed, but I didn't hang around to find out. <laughs> I seem to remember being in an office somewhere near here and going, you know, I was wondering. No, what actually am I... here. <laughs> like, what are my options? I mean, I could A, resign and they're like, yeah. oh, we'll stick with A. That's fine. <laughs> How about terminate myself? Yeah. <laughs> So, as I say to people, it was less of a career break and more of an extinction event, right? But I thought it would be a year or two. And that's the naivety. I'm not saying it should have been a year or two, but I, in my naivety, thought this will be a year or two. And uh, then I booked a comeback gig for the pandemic. So uh, it was... (laughs) Another extinction event. Basically, the extinction gods went... We're not ready yeah, for Al. Yeah, and I'm so lucky that it happened. But yeah. it was Friday the 13th, March 2020. And I remember being on the phone to uh, a comedian friend of mine and saying, uh, this new show, you know, it, it's going to be a hit. It's going to be a hit because people won't believe how I've been living my life. I said, I've been sitting at home, drinking, getting fat, afraid to show my face anywhere. I haven't left the house in months. I go, it's an incredible show about this unique experience. And then everybody started living my life. And you all got into the same boat with me. And we all, you're going, oh, we baked banana bread. I baked banana bread in 2019. I was way ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, But genuinely, on the weight thing, I, uh, as I kind of go into in my show, there was this patch in my life that's pretty pathetic. And I was, I was this unemployed, pathetic, kind of washed up celebrity at 24 in a tiny country in my mam's house. And I got really, really big. So my weight ballooned. And people talked to me about, oh, I remember seeing the photograph of you in the paper, you know, and God, you'd gone very big. And I'm thinking, I lost weight for that photograph. <laughs> That's, I had really slimmed down. So yeah. I got very big. And my, my mates used to call me Al Porker. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no, the, the jokes were all over Carl yeah. Spain used to say do you yeah. think they'll let me play you in the TV movie oh. you know? <laughs> all of this and I was quite like I wouldn't uh, tease another person's ways you know people are the size they are or anything but uh, what I am now is I won't put a, a measure on it but maybe this is uh, around half what I was mm. So I literally was another one of yeah. me on top of this. So I was very big. And one of the things to do, obviously, when you're a comic and you know this, is to... Uh, I thought you were going to say when you're a comic and you're fat <laughs> and you know this, Mario. And I was like, wow. No, when you're a very thin man like you <laughs> are, Mario. But one, it's, it's to bring out the elephant in the room, isn't it? To point out the elephant. So there is a little bit of tension when I walk on stage. So I use my weight to break the ice. So I say, I look great, don't I, everybody? I look great. <laughs> First thing I say. Yeah. And then I say, uh, you know, how did you lose it, Al? I said, six years of scandal and the weight just falls <laughs> off you. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. then the punchline is, yeah. uh, Tuberty's about to disappear. <laughs> 
it's a lovely end. Yeah, it's a good you one. You know, because they go, okay. You're breaking a lot of ice there. Yeah, he's yeah. going to talk about it. He's not afraid yes. to talk about it. Yes. Tuberty, nothing is a sacred cow. Not yes. even his weight, not even his career. Yes. And and so the I'm, show unfolds from there. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I'm so... God, thanks. So, I thought it No, but person. I'm so pleased that, that you, you feel... That just so just strong enough and well enough just to go. You know what? I can actually look at all of this stuff straight in the face. But I want you to tell me about the various stages since your since since we talked about mm. you. You mentioned we, the thing. Yes, and yeah. we call it the thing because that's we, what, and we, that's all we need to call it because no, we don't need to relitigate. Yes, and uh, anybody who wants to can Google what they can and, and yeah, anything sure. like that. And, and, and and I like that. I mean, that's it's on it's my all fine. it's on my website. Yeah. Exactly. I leave it up there on my website. What's I mean, your al- alporter.com? Al- yeah. yeah. And I leave a whole article there that, uh, going into all kinds of things that you wouldn't like yeah. to tell somebody but about. That's not yourself, really what I'm interested in. What I'm interested yeah. in is the degrees, the, the, the stages you went through after that. Mm. I mean, as you say yourself, you did terminate yourself. You, yeah. took firm, you took, if you like, affirmative action on this. You just went, listen, I need to step back. I need to step out. Yeah. There's stuff going on in my life. And yeah, you're so right. there was stuff going on with Today FM. And you went, do you know what? I quit. Mm. Um, just before you even do that, tell us the level of kind of success you were having at the time. And uh, the reason I say that is because it is very, very talk worthy. It's very significant. I mean, even off the top of my head, if I, I would know. So, for example, you were selling out multiple lights in Vicar Street mm. very quickly. Yeah. Uh, you were on a kind of a Joanne McNally vibe. Yeah, um, yeah. You were. She's a character I've been working on over the last five years. And everybody's me. like, "You haven't been doing no, no." But when people say to me, "You haven't been around in five years," I go, "Oh no, I have a blonde wig and a pink jumpsuit." <laughs> I'm Joanne. Yeah, I haven't told Vogue she, yet. Yeah, yeah, she spawned through <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah. And so you were on um, TV three. You had this blind date show. Mm. Um, I remember reading a very a hilar- not hilarious. I don't know. It's hilarious. A funny, funny in, in inverted commas interview with you in the Daily Telegraph in yeah. in, in, in England. Yeah. And is that the one where she says yes. he orders two gin and yes. tonics? It's eleven thirty a.m. That one. Yeah. Did uh, I have a drink problem? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I remember thinking, wow, he's definitely come to the attention of the Daily Telegraph yeah. in England. Yeah. Um, then you were on Today FM. You had a daily show mm. at, at, at midday. And then also, I mean, things were starting to uh, happen for you in England as well. Yeah. I think. Yeah, so, I so did Soho Theatre. Graham Norton came to see me in Soho Theatre. I wrote a newspaper column as well every week. That was in a tabloid. It was kind of a funny newspaper column. What, what was that? Uh, it was in the Star. Yeah. And uh, so every week I had my newspaper column. Yeah. As you say, uh, the radio show, the television programme. Uh, Multiple Olymp- nights. In the, the Olympia Panto then when I wasn't to, doing stand-up. You used to direct and write the Olympia Panto yeah, or produce, I, help produce it. And produce and it produce, at the time. I mean, and, you were so yeah. young. You were I was 23. Uh, I mean, that's extraordinary. You that, know, that's basically going full twink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dirty well, bastard. That means a different thing. Nobody the fucking gay community, goes. I, when you go full twink, it's a different thing. But um, yeah, I mean, listen. Well, sorry, gotta bring me back there. What well, the hell is twink, full you know, twink? The gays have all sorts of categories for people, but twink is a young, a young gay man. Oh no, yeah, know I'm that. kind of past my prime for twink now. You right, know? so twink, I never really was one. So anyway, twink is yeah. what twink is like eighteen to twenty three or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably yeah, but I, it's also more of a look. I think. I think right. it's kind of a swim. It's this Tom Daly kind of thing. You know, yeah, yeah. I was never a twink, right? Like people always thought I was forty. You know, I, right. I meet people now and they go, "What age are you now? You must be coming yeah. up on 50 When you said Tom Daly, I just pictured twink in a pair of speedos. <laughs> oh, listen, don't picture that. You know the old story that goes around. I think the punchline is Ronnie Drew was shot in the face, but we won't go into the story. <laughs> I love the punchline. You don't need a story. <laughs> 
I don't need a story when the punchline is Ronnie yeah, Drew is shot yeah, in the face. You don't know that story. Best showbiz story ever. Anyway, that started going around people saying that that was about me over the years. So it just shows you how... Can you tell the story? And we let it, let it I don't to. think I can tell no, okay, the story. Enough, yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, it's an old showbiz one. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, yeah. did the, look, who needs underwear when they're performing in a pantomime? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, okay. And somebody looks up and it was like Ronnie all right. Drew. I had the same been, problem in Aikino myself. On night three, we decided to wear sort of half transparent underpants. Yeah. And yeah. we were forgot we were wearing these togas really and people were just throwing up in the front yeah, can row. I just say that's not about me that's my point is that that story mm. where I always wore multiple layers of underwear because I was right. in a dress anyway okay, so you were you were uh, experiencing were you making a lot of money oh yeah sorry I uh, it was sort of mm. I'd started to make money mm. um, and I was really really busy I mean the only thing I couldn't say no had you bought an apartment yeah, or no, no nothing no, like no. that I, I was still living in my mum's house mm. and money had started to come in although I was kind of paying back for the investment that you made, the kind of speculate to accumulate stuff that goes on, mm. where you go, okay, I'm going to do 10 Vicar Streets, but I'm going to have all the bells and whistles. I'll have an eight-piece band. Right. I'll have two brilliant support acts. There'll be, you know, confetti cannons. There'll be a big screen. There'll be the best of curtains. You know, so I'm kind of investing the whole time, you know, going into Louis Copeland, I'll get a million different suits and I go, and also investing on the people that you're working with and you're going, I want the show to be funnier or I want the newspaper column to be funnier or I wanted the monologues on Blind Date to be funnier and we haven't got the budget for that so then I'm using my money to work with uh, good comedy writers Mm. so in collaboration I always think that you know they can help you take an idea to the next place so I had spent a lot of money but I was starting to make Mm. uh, uh, some money and uh, I mean I I always say with people I was just short of ringing the bells on the Angelus like I was everywhere Mm. in one year I was on the Late Late Show four times is that right yeah and it was out of control I mean at first it was oh have them on to do some jokes you know by the fifth time I'm kissing Linda Martin and we're singing Meatloaf and people are going why are they doing this I I don't really know I just couldn't say no it's that working class attitude in me was I couldn't spend it quick enough I don't think that's a working class thing I think really? that's a showbiz thing do you think yeah, yeah I was I mean, so afraid you know to that not you talk about hay. old stories I mean the oldest story in showbiz is you don't give up showbiz it gives you up yeah and yeah. people you know saying yes is endemic mm. in, in showbiz I mean I, I've only learned in the last what four or five years yeah. to even temper my saying yes-ishness yeah uh, with, with the odd no at least I go out of every five say one no yeah, um, I was very naive. I thought, you know, I can do all of these things. And what I didn't quite realise was uh, you were spreading yourself very thin and uh, you can't quite do them all to the quality or level that you would like to be doing them. And ultimately, I was a stand-up comic. And somebody said something to me recently, which was a nice compliment, but there is an insult in there. But the compliment was... Uh, Al, if you haven't seen you work on stage, you don't know that you're any good. Which was a nice compliment because what they're saying is you're a very good stand-up comedian. You were an all right TV presenter. You were okay at the radio. I might have grown into it, but I was being given opportunities before I necessarily had the maturity or the chops because people thought there was a precocious or kind of talent here and we gotta we gotta get it on it now you mm. know before and it's happening right now to the two Johnnies and different people mm. but the two Johnnies are fantastic but I'm just saying mm-hmm. somebody becomes kind of popular and mm-hmm. they become and and they're everywhere mm. and uh, as you say I terminated myself mm. so when the uh, going got tough and I knew that this was something 
in in one sense very personal to deal with because there are people from your personal life talking about personal interactions because you're a public personality it's a very public thing and the two in our business relate to each other who you are in your personal life is going to have an effect for who you are on stage so I knew I have to deal with this and I cannot do it publicly or you know I won't be able to do it and not many people know what you just said there which is Nobody asked me to resign from Today FM. I just immediately said, I'm gone. I was the producer on the panto. I replaced myself. Uh, I rang the other producers, Pat Egan and Stuart. They said, you should stay. Uh, you know, it, it'll be okay. And I took myself out of that equation. Uh, I I said to the star, I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, it was me that went, I'm gone, I'm gone, I'm gone. You know, and... Uh, And in some ways, I'm glad that I did that because when something like that happens, it affects everybody around you and it's not their shit to deal with. And I didn't want Pamela or Lenny who worked on the radio show or Stuart and Pat uh, on the Panto or the people who'd worked hard on Blind Day to go through this process of, you know, their hard work you know, being dragged into the mud by, oh, we're going to have to try and get rid of him now or maybe we won't or do we weather it through? I wanted to just make it as simple for everybody as possible. Now, I couldn't have, in naivety and in ignorance, I couldn't have predicted that six years later would be when I would be you know, tentatively getting back on stage. That it would be such a long time. And in many ways, it's... It's such a long time that it is, it's more than a career break. It's a second life. Mm. I, the person I was, I don't, I don't, I, it, okay, that's me, but I don't necessarily relate to him anymore. Okay, you've, you, you've clearly owned all of this. Who was that person? And what, what, if you like, flaws was that person, did that yeah. person have? Do you think? I mean, because you've owned it already. So yeah. tell us. So tell us what was the issue with that person? I think there's a, well, it's a complex cocktail yeah. of things. Uh, I had come from school where everybody knew me, and I was uh, a straight A student. But I was, you know, a bit of fun, and I would drag up and 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 do performances for the teachers and that kind of thing. And yeah. everybody knew Al, you know, and it was. Uh, I wasn't necessarily bullied. I won't make that. But I, it was not an easy school to be the only gay in the village. Hmm. That might sound passe now. Things might be different now. But 15 years ago in Tala, it was different. And uh, a defence mechanism was definitely to use the caricature of your own sexuality to put it in somebody's face before they can say anything about yes. you. And, and this became a reflex. In fact, it became very defensive to, to, uh, to bring up the, the sexuality straight away. And, and you get a laugh. Mm. You know, you get a laugh. And if it's, the, if it's a kind so of... To over, inner, almost to overcompensate or to be bullish about it. Well, yeah, because I saw friends of mine shrink and shrivel into themselves who were quite gentle, you know, guys who were going to turn out to be gay and they just disappeared into themselves. Mm. And I had, I said, no, I'm going to have this big personality. And, the, and of course, when you come out with something that is the wrong time and place for it, if you say something kind of sexual, you know, 
at the end of class or, you know, an innuendo in front of the principal. I mean, the laugh you're going to get is gigantic. Mm. They're really, they go, I can't believe this guy. Mm. He's outrageous. Mm. And uh, that is something that I think I kept with me and insecurely and immaturely never quite knew when to shake off Mm. and go, I don't need this anymore. And I was in college for a wet day so I dropped out of college. And you were in Trinity, right? I was in Trinity Doom. And you did philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I'm very interested in it. And I think going back to college, we can talk about that. But I, I, I dropped out of college, so I never really had friends my own age. Uh, I, I kind of discovered after school that a lot of the lads were going off on summer holidays together. And actually, I was a bit of an outsider or a bit of, you know. And then I went into the comedy scene straight away. And before I knew it, I went from karaoke uh, to stand up for 10 minutes and being given 20 euro literally two years later which is a short amount of time I was the youngest ever headliner in Vicar Street Mm. and it was so easy and Mm. why I bring that up is that the ego got out of control Mm. because the it was too easy I've no friends my own age. Nobody is really kind of grounding me. My it's not anybody's fault. It's my fault. But I let my ego get out of control. Yeah. And now you've got this person who is insecure, yep. immature, quite adult though. Uh, uns- uh, quite. It, you have an adult. You, had, you even then you had a, quite an adult side to you. Yeah, but uh, you looked like a I young could, adult. Yeah, an old, a, a young fogey well, almost. That's like a Ryan Turbidy yeah. thing of yeah. But there's a kind of performative element to that where I can genuinely remember saying to myself uh, in college I'm in I'm in my jumper and tracksuit bottoms and I'm trying out this long hair thing and it's not really working and I just want to disappear I hate being 19 so much I'm going I ugh, I hate this I don't feel like I have anything in common with people I don't feel you know and I I went I'm not going to do it I'm going to skip this bit I'm going to skip this bit and I'm going to put on a suit and tie and a shirt and I'm just going to be not this. And and I had this uh, fantasy that it's difficult to to relate to somebody without them thinking, you know, uh, you're having me on. But I really mean this, where in my head, I didn't really live in the real world. I just said, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Kenneth Williams. Yeah. I'm going to be Frankie Howard and... Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And this is my blueprint and that's how I can be uh, a star. And that's it. And I just skipped the finding out who I really was yeah. step and the making my own friends step and the, the, the kind of normal socialising. Yeah, and, and, and I just skipped it, put on a suit and tie and started going, oh, matron. Yes. And everyone went, Jesus, he's mad. And, mm. you know, he's so unusual. And I'm reading autobiographies and I'm almost using their lives as a blueprint it sounds so unusual now for how I was going to act and you look at that now and go but that's insane because they were 40 year old closeted gay men in the 1960s in England I know but hold on and you're a 20 year old but you see the thing is one of the reasons why you caught on there was because yes these were 40 year old men who are closeted homosexuals mm. but people were interpreting that you were were, were, were t- having an ironic take on mm. this that mm. you were almost reinventing this mm. genre but with a knowing wink yeah in other yeah. words you were going 
hi, I'm a guy playing this role, but did you know I went to Trinity and studied philosophy? Yeah. And they go, oh, yeah. that clever little yeah. bugger. Yeah. That's clever. Yeah, I that's don't, clever. I don't so, think I was that clever. Well, no, but people people saw an ironic yeah. uh, that you were doing something kind of ironic. They didn't see you as a straight ooh matron. Mm. No, no, no. They thought that you were doing something kind kind of a take on that thing, which yeah. was ironic. Yeah. Well, I wondered as I uh, as I went as I went on as an act, I I kind of matured and kind of began to think. Well, what would have happened if? Uh, and this is adjacent to what we're talking about. But you know, what would have happened if? Frankie, let's say, for example, Frankie Howard could have talked about his real life and didn't have to do mm. some of the kind of, uh, know. you know, whatever patter that he did. Yeah. So what if he could tell us about doing LSD and juice psychotherapy? Yeah. And what if he could tell us about having a boyfriend and all that? Yeah. So uh, that was where I started to go, well, where does uh, this tradition, which is now like a canvas yeah. of camp tradition, yeah. meet you know, real stand-up, real honesty and real... Yeah. So it did develop into that. But just back to the flaws that I had, you know, does this immaturity... um like a swan, people use that example a lot, but the struggling underneath and the gliding on top. Just all of this insecurity mixed with a big ego, you know, I'm doing great and a kind of arrogance coming out of that. And two gin and tonics at 11.30. And a lot of drink. And a lot of drink and party yeah. drugs. Yeah. And, uh, and and I think, and a naivety. And then, and then I guess arrogance is kind of in a group, isn't it? Sometimes with... Mm with the odd bit of selfishness, the odd bit of inconsiderateness of going, you know, making jokes that, you know, they don't... Here's an example of On The Late Late Show. I saw a clip of me on The Late Late and I'm talking to Ryan Tuberty and uh, I'm listing the things that I would do to him and the audience are laughing at this sexy banter with Ryan and then I crawl on the desk and I'm writhing on the desk and the audience are howling and the further I go the more embarrassed he gets the more uncomfortable he gets the more the audience laughs now okay Ryan might have been up for it and all that but on reflection when I look at that because I've had a long time to think about this kind of thing and it's become so important in my life obviously Uh, this is the key thing in my life I look back at that and think I would never have thought about whether it mattered if Ryan was feeling embarrassed there. It was all for the joke. Mm. And, you know, you know, if he had been upset, you know, would he have told me? I don't know. Mm. And now as now I would look at it and go everything that I've learned over the last few years and and much of the, the, the sort of criticism that I've wanted to listen to and genuinely take on board. You know, it's all right to go, ah, but you were only messing. But, you know, we judge ourselves by our intentions, mm. but we judge other people by their actions. And I do all think, right. I Mario, would say you were young. Do, yeah, maybe. And I'm sorry. I mean, sorry. You can people say young. That isn't an excuse. Young is a, an explanation for a lot of things. Mm. You know, you were young. This was all happening very quickly. Um, you were a little. You know, you were you were ostentatious, a little bombastic at times. Uh, big deal. You 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 described there a little bit of arrogance and selfishness. You throw a couple of gin and tonics at half eleven in the morning into it, and suddenly you are probably overstepping boundaries. And I was drunk by the time I got to the gigs, but people didn't know, mm. and that's true. I was. I mean, I did. And po- if po- I was probably well able to perform. Well able to yeah. perform. So it, and I mean, it never affected with, with, the yeah, no. with, with drink on. Yeah. No, it mm. didn't. It didn't. I mean, mm. it, I was having. 
I was still standing after 10 pints and yeah. that's not a brag. No. Because uh, no, that's a problem uh, for people. Yeah. I mean, in my own yeah. in my own 20s and stuff, I used to, I, I think I've said this before, I mean, I drank quite a lot in my 20s and early 30s and, uh, but I had hollow legs. Mm. So at six o'clock in the morning, I was going, okay, I actually have a list of early houses and yeah. the times they open. Yeah. And I'd be the leader, you know, Pied Piper. And yeah. uh, I would also be have, have this personality that I could just stand there and just talk like at anybody, to anybody and yeah, tell yeah. them all monologue. about themselves. Yeah. Absolutely monologue them into the ground. They go, your yeah. man is an awful prick. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they didn't realise I was skull dunker drunk. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't sound drunk because yeah. I was able to to, to verbalise perfectly. Mm. And I was and, oblivious. And that's a danger. I was really quite oblivious because I kind of thought, oh, everybody thinks I'm great and everybody loves me. Yep. And the irony, the, the, the sort of deep irony is that I had a, a deep desire to be liked by yep. my colleagues. And that's common I mean, as well. deeply wanted, I mean, that's the irony because in some ways, had I been more secure mm. and thought, it doesn't really matter if they like me or not mm. or I don't necessarily need to be funny around them, I may not have acted out mm. in ways that I did act mm. out in ways that I really regret yes. Yes. Uh, that came from I have to do something and, because I often thought well if I'm just myself people are going to find me very boring I know and it's, it could be very boring and so therefore things like uh, streaking on stage mm. in Vicar Street mm. for, for attention to mm. try and get the crowd into a frenzy mm. um, or you know giving the lap dance in the front row and all this kind of that's a stage thing and you kind of go, that's wild, that's on stage. But the lines were blurry yeah. between on and off stage, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And I just went from gig to gig to gig. I'd slept about three or four hours every night, yeah. if even. I would come in to do a radio show, really hungover. And the lines had really yes. blurred. Yes. And, and it's lazy as well. It's in a, in a sense, yeah. it's lazy because it's harder to do what I may be trying to do now, yeah. which is put the thought into your show, yeah. uh, write a show and you mean it, mm. uh, uh, mean the material, make the material good, mm. surprise the audience. Mm. It was easier to go, I'm a right slag, mm. am not I? Mm. Am I a right slag? Wouldn't I write anything? Mm. Aren't you gorgeous? Mm. Look at me in my pink suit. And it was easier. Mm. Mm. And and I thought, and I'm being well rewarded for this and I'm being paid for this, you know? Okay. And actually, I mean, there's just, can I tell you one story and yeah, you, can, you can cut it if you don't like, like it. Uh, during the... Well, you wouldn't tell us the Ronnie Drew one, so I doubt <laughs> we'll take this, we'll cut this one. During the pandemic... By the it, way, I worked out the Ronnie Drew one in my subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> it just gives you an example of, you know, how, as I say to people, you know, a, a, lot, of, a, a lot of criticism came my way and... Uh, uh, much of it was very fair. Some of it was maybe a bit unfair. Uh, the unfairness maybe to do with, um, you know, nuance and context and kind of proportion being ignored and stuff like that. No good is ever going to come from focusing on that. I focus on the fundamental truth, which is you need to course correct, Al. You know, don't blame anybody else for the career falling apart. Blame yourself. Take the responsibility. And now we can move on with things in your life. What happened to, to you was in a perfect storm of history, a time that everything was going on around the world at the time. And I guess a place like Ireland, you're just looking for an opportunity. Who's our one? There there was a radio programme ran a, uh, a, a thing entitled, you know, Weinstein, Spacey, Porter. And... Uh, the worst legal firm of all time. <laughs> so it was a time. It was a, it was a time in in you know in history, as you say. Mm. 
what I've been able to learn is just, you know, you, you have to be considerate in your in your humour and how you conduct yourselves. But many people have a friend who they go, Jesus, Johnny, if you were famous, you'd be cancelled tomorrow. Like but you. do you know what this is all covering up? Or what not all covering up, but you, 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 your act and everything, the act that you had, although it was ironic and I think a bit of a nod and a wink and you were really successful at it, what it disguised unfairly was how how very smart and intelligent you are and how considerate and thoughtful um, considered rather and thoughtful you are Um, and now this is a chance for you the real Al Porter Mm. who can mix a little bit of experience Mm. hard-edged life experience let's (laughs) face it youth which you still have vigour with your you know quite penetrating natural intelligence and this to me should be the the, the the ingredients to a great success going forward. Mario, I couldn't have read it better myself and I'm glad I wrote well, that for you for earlier. Thanks yeah. for writing it. I, um, no, listen. So, so let's get back to, to this thing. That's kind of you, you to you, say. Yeah, it is. But let's let's get back to this this thing of, because you you did talk about the stages of grief. Mm. Try and try and try and summarise them for me, if you like, the, the brief potted history of your stages of grief. Stage one was... Yeah. Well, so, um, well, yeah. I mean, at first, there's, there's I don't know what the official ones are. Anger? But I mean, it's anger, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're just, you're... I, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Mm. I was unprepared for the the storm that that came. You know, it, it was very swift. Yeah. It was one weekend. You know, on Friday I had the whole world in front of me, really? and on Monday I was unemployed. Really, and and there is a death involved there because there is the death of the person you thought you were going right. to be, and and the future you have planned. And that person is dead, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I, that that's over. That I, I will not have the future I would have had uh, were it not that this occurred. Yeah. And then you go, but that's life. That's how life works. But I mean, to begin with, there's certainly anger. Then there's a kind of denial, you know, then you're arriving, you know, drunk at David McSavage shows in the Olympia, you know, sitting up in the box, waving at people like the Queen going, are you all waiting for my return? Are you all waiting for me to be back? <laughs> that happened, you know? yeah. Oh, that happened, and yeah. did McSavage call you McSavage out McSavage called me out and, and the newspapers there. kind of ran a thing being like, well, every time I showed my face for a while, it was, uh, you know, Al Porter spotted for the first time. I go, it can't be the first time every time, lads. It can't be every time. It's not the first time. Yeah, I know. Um, but this went on. And uh, so I don't know what the real stages are, but the, the anger, the denial. Yeah. And, uh, no, yours, your the ones. The bargaining. I mean, the, no, but the, my ones yeah. are so similar yeah. because it's the bargaining. Mm. Then it's, you know, if, if people... Can you remember would, your bargaining? Yeah, because I remember ringing uh, comics kind of... I used to kind of hang around outside the comedy clubs for a while. It's very pathetic. You know, a year later or two years, kind of arriving going, oh, do you want to put me on? And they're going, no. And you're just kind of hanging around like Enoch Burke, you know, just waiting <laughs> to be put on. But, but I work here. Yeah. <laughs> like, He's hilarious, by the not way. Not anymore. Well, I mean, he is a yeah. great solicitor. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, uh, his sister's fantastic. I mean, I, I, if anybody has a court case, I think they should get her. Mm. You'll never get acquitted or mm. you'll never be found guilty. Mm. But they just never have to do the trial. <laughs> She's just going, this is a discredit. The judge goes, oh, go on, next week. I don't know, yeah. next week. Yeah. yeah, I can't do, I can't deal with her. Um, but I did used to kind of arrive yeah. and stuff. And uh, and then there's a kind of bargaining where I was saying stuff to people like, you know, I'll never take money for a gig again. 
I said, if I could just, if they just let me do a gig, yes. I promise that I, I will always give the money to charity, you know. And my mom is going, oh my God, would somebody get him a college course or, you know, a trade or something like that? Would you ever emigrate and do something with your life? Because can I just say, and yeah. it's not, it's not a, a, a complaint, because I think you need to accept, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And that's kind of, so you, you with have Leslie to, Crowther. <laughs> but I have to say, great game show. I have to say, it is difficult to be a washed up celebrity at 24 years old in a tiny country. It is. You know, I couldn't retreat to the LA house no. or the lake house and go, oh, no. well, we had a good run. I'll do a memoir in 10 years. When it was over, it was over. And it's shit. And, that was, and it was shit. And yeah. that was the end of that. And everybody was going, well, what are you going to do now? Do you think you'll go back to college? You know, yeah. it was just over. And, right. and, and people are very funny about it. Like a picture of my penis. Yes, I, I have my hand on it here, not your penis. <laughs> uh, sorry, that came out wrong. Sorry, that came out came out wrong twice. Fuck's sake. Al, you have me doing it now. I've turned into double entendre merchant. Yeah, I had my finger on it here, the actual the actual line, um, and that was there's uh, the fact that naked pictures went around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so a mean, picture went around of your penis. Look, this is how embarrassing the whole thing was. I should never have taken the photograph okay uh, but I and I shouldn't have sent it and you're young and, and you're stupid and this kind of yeah. thing right so uh, well I, I personally think you should never have photoshopped it to look 20 <laughs> times bigger than anybody else it was a great penis. picture you have to say it it's was a very, great picture but I don't know what angle it's taken as because <laughs> I mean it looks like you know the Eiffel Tower it's one of those Snapchat filters it's well, not real it's not yeah, real I catch you know can you filter that much I mean it's gigantic if you didn't have your glasses on you would think it was one of the Hemsworths you know what I mean it was just <laughs> but people do um, they still bring it up. They still talk about the photograph. And it went yeah. around every WhatsApp group in Ireland. When I asked the audience... Did it land back in you your WhatsApp it? group? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you're going, this is coming home. Yeah. My mother's going to see this. My poor mother. My delighted father. <laughs> <laughs> like father, like son. That's what I It's a bit like Mossy Keane, Roy Keane's father. He used to go to the Temple Acre Tavern um, uh, in, in Cork. And he'd just sit there ordering pints and never buying pints. Because yeah, yeah. Roy had just been bought... And uh, he just every so often he'd go and he'd do his party piece. He'd point down to his crotch and he'd go, "You ought to see that, three point seven five million. He just point to his his crotch. <laughs> but it's this kind of thing. And I uh, I had the maddest experience where a friend of mine said uh, he's on his dating app, you know, and he's about to we're out in a, a, a pub or something, and he said to me, "You keep talking to this fella." Um, I'm going to the Jacks and see if you can get me lucky tonight or something like that. So, you know the way people swipe for their friends on Tinder mm-hmm. or whatever. So I'm talking to this guy and then he said, pretending to be my friend. It's an, an, an anonymous account, which is fairly popular in the gay community, not as, as common a thing in the straight community. And uh, the guy says, do you want to see a picture? And I go, go for it. And he sends a dick pic, right? And it is my yeah. picture yeah, and he doesn't know he's talking to you has no, no idea yeah. and I wrote back that's not your picture and he says yeah it is oh, and gosh. I said no it's not he goes how would you know that I said so now I'm thinking what am I going so I go well that one went viral yeah. I said that one's Al Porter's yeah. and he got me he wrote back I am Al Porter oh, what are you going to say to God. that 
What do you? I mean, there's nothing. I can't write back. No, I'm Al Porter yeah. because now we're going to no, be it's a the whole new, other barrel it's of the, shit. It's the new Spartacus. Yeah, everybody yeah. gets a hard on and goes, <laughs> "I'm Al Porter." <laughs> I'm Al Porter. <laughs> I'm Al Porter. I think that's how Tony Curtis actually wanted it to go. Oh, he did. Yeah, but I'm not. Well, sure. And and um, Kirk Douglas. I think they I would cut say. that scene. Yeah. Well, they that was definitely something. They homo- did the homo- bath. It was homoerotic. Yeah, well, they studied that. Olivier and Tony Curtis. Yeah. Come here, my boy. Yeah. Uh, and but, do, do you know who overdubbed that voice in the bath? No. Do you know it wasn't his own voice? I had no idea. Yeah, it's a famous story. Um, afterwards, after the film, um, Kubrick uh, was unhappy with the scene yeah. between Tony Curtis and Laurence Olivier in the ba- bathing, and he wanted to overdub Olivier's voice, but Olivier wasn't available. Right. And um, so uh, this was much later, actually, in a in a in a Blu-ray DVD okay. thing, and Olivier was dead. Yeah. And but there was one man who had the greatest impression of Olivier and it was well known around Hollywood and that was Anthony Hopkins oh wow and Hopkins okay. does the voice of Olivier and it's that's false, fascinating it's, it's faultless this is on the Blu-ray yeah well, it's, that is it's fascinating faultless. Yeah. faultless so he's doing you can see a, a long shot of Olivier in there talking yeah. to Tony Curtis and he's doing the voice voice and it's wow yeah it's it's it's, it's that is amazing when you, when you hear it and, and you know it you kind of go oh, okay I could kind yeah. of tell yeah. but it's a brilliant yeah. impression if you but will. I had to say to that guy uh, you know was Al Porter not cancelled I got really digged yeah. I, d- I dug in you yeah, know yeah, 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 and yeah. he just wrote back <laughs> I thought it was great oh. he wrote back oh well you know he was young and he made a lot of mistakes people are allowed a second chance and I thought I'm going to let this guy slide <laughs> <laughs> slide and swipe this guy's a good one. He's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I'm going to let him spread the good word there. Just spread the good I'm news. I'm Al Porter. Boing, 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 boing. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one for the ages, that is. Um, so, during the period you were, you were in your hiatus, shall mm. we call it, you had normal jobs. Yeah, Tell I mean, us about those. It, the, the odd times. So sometimes I wasn't really uh, well enough to work, and that sounds. I turned into Pat Kenny there for a second. Did you hear that? <laughs> well, oh, enough well, enough. Oh, well enough to work. Well enough to work. Well enough to work. In in caveat emptor, oberime fide, as they say in Latin. Oberi my bidet. Oberi me fide. Oberi me fide. In good faith. All right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was uh, the odd time I did. I mean, the, the, there were times when I, I didn't leave my bedroom and I was kind of, you know, I, I I went through periods where I really wouldn't open the curtains or leave the bedroom. It was kind of Howard Hughes-esque. Mm. You know, so I don't know whether it was depression or a lion that got out of hand. <laughs> you go, I'm going to stay in bed for a while and then six months later you're pissing in a bottle yeah. and slipping notes under the door, leave the food at the door, you know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, one time my mam sent a priest into my bed. This is how bad it got because my mam is the parish secretary, God love her, you know. And, uh, you know, this is just mortifying for her, the whole thing. And she sent a priest into my bedroom to try to get me out of bed. Mm. And I remember thinking, you know, does she know me at all? (laughs) 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 But uh, I needed exercise, not an exorcism. But anyway, she sent him in. But God love her. You know, she was uh, I used to hear people talking about me through the floorboards as if I was dead. I mean, this is true as God. Family members visiting a year, two years in. I'm going through one of my depressive periods up in bed. What's your mum's name? Marion. How long has he gone now, Marion? <laughs> I heard them saying to her, you know, stuff like, uh, ah, is he God love you, Marion. Yeah, he was great, he, he was so young. Yeah. He was so young. He got you taken know, very Had his early. whole life ahead of taken him. Taken too quick. And she's going, yeah, yeah. And my favourite was the time someone said to her, oh, Marion, what a waste of a life. And she said, ah, yeah, but he's up there somewhere. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. At least I still have the other two. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I'm, a lo- I'm not dead, you know. Oh, but, brilliant. Mario, when I did... Tell me you tell that story in your show. 
Uh, I suppose I haven't. Yes, actually, that's I will. Really funny. Yeah, maybe I will. Maybe oh, that's I funny. I think that, that. image because it taps into something quite dark and Irish as yeah. well. Yeah, and the way. Also, that way we talk about each other when we're at death's door. Yeah, Irish. You know, the Irish people go, "Jeez, you're looking great." Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I've never seen you look better. <laughs> and the worse you get, the better you're oh, looking. Yeah. I mean, when I was really, really, really mm. fat, yeah. you know, LGBT. Looking great, plus. Yeah, you're very healthy. Mm. God, you look very healthy. Yeah. And now that I'm thin, are you sick? Yeah. Oh, I, I, he's up there somewhere. Yeah. It's hilarious. That's yeah. Oh no, I'll include that, will, that then. Okay. Right. I, I, maybe I'm. I'm. I, if I'd, I'll stake my entire comedy life on it. If you can create a story that lasts approximately three minutes and finish with, uh, he's up there somewhere, okay. you will bring the house down. I'll do it. I'll do it. Why not? And I need the material. All I want is text from you afterwards. Going, I'll do it. It works. I'll let you know. I'll do it. <laughs> the, um, but the odd time then, so, I mean, that's me being sort of facetious about, but there were times of, uh, yeah, it's just Xanax and Valium and and uh, lots of drink and a litre of vodka a day at one stage. No. And, and yeah, yeah. Oh, but then there were other times when I can thought... Can I ask you about what, mm. what, can I ask you physically what it's like to drink a litre of vodka a day? Uh, well, I tried to share it around, so I don't know if I had the whole okay. leader, but I did almost. Who'd you say. be sharing it with? Uh, well, not Marion. Well, no, <laughs> but just you'd have the odd friend who'd visit you and kind of go, okay. "You're all right," all and right. you go and have a few shots. But I drank the majority of it, you yeah, know. But yeah. I don't want to over egg mm. the thing. But uh, what's it like? You know, like I, w- I would have it. I had. I used to have shots in the shower. What? Yeah. What's that? But because I, 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 physically because, explain that. Well, well, oh yeah, You're in the because you just have a shot glass in the in the bathroom. Gigantic penis in hand, <laughs> dragging it along the floor, right? Yeah. So I have to Hoover, whip just it finish, over my just shoulder. Just finished hoovering. Yeah, well, take a few pictures, do a few sketches, right? right? Whip it over the shoulder, and then pour yourself a little bit. See, it was Tesco's fault. Tesco had this twenty euro liter of vodka deal. And oh, not one of those ones with a, sp- a crazy, stupid Russian name that does that's barely sounding Russian. That was Teskov- a good one. Teskovovich. No, 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 it was a proper one, okay, you know. Right, and then, okay. and yeah, you just think, ah, oh, you just need something to go, ah, oh, fuck it, you know, and just get get through the day mm. or whatever. Yeah, what what I talk about with people is that uh, until you can accept your life, you can't live it. I really believe that. I think that the 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 disconnect or the disharmony or the dissonance between uh, existing in a life that you refuse to accept is yours and maybe you're refusing to accept it because that would involve going Ugh, I'm you know I've put myself at this rock bottom or whatever uh, you stop living at all and and that was these kind of periods where a little bit of me I think thought well the next time I'm in my 20s I won't fuck it up when the next time I'm in my 20s, it's all going to be, it's all going to go rosy and everybody's going to think I'm great. The refusal to go, eh, there is no next time. This is it. And so you're just spending your days drinking and smoking joints and, and letting day move into month, move into year because, no, I don't read. This is an existence. This isn't my life. This isn't really my life. It was very upsetting. When I gave up the drink, just seeing as though we're on this track, when I gave up the drink, all of this emotion came back. All of this feeling. And it wasn't just the drink I gave up, it was everything. Uh, Cigarettes, even. Uh, uh, Weed and everything you can think of. Uh, Gone. And all this feeling came back. And suddenly Mm. I felt like, you know, 17-year-old Al again. It's being alive. 16-year-old Al. You were numbing yourself. Yeah. And I was more myself than I was 
when I was 22, 23, supposedly on top of the world, you know, doing the showbiz You found thing. yourself. Because that was a carousel of, of pressure. And uh, every time I did something good when I was 22, 23, it didn't mean anything to me because, well, this is nothing compared to the next thing. And the pressure for it to be good and, and the pressure to come off of the stage in the three arena when I did Comic Relief, I wasn't really there because I, all I was thinking was, uh, was I brilliant? Was it good enough? Uh, am I going to get to do the three arena myself next year? You're, you're living for the future. And and also doing so many things, as I said, you're bouncing from one thing to the next and you're drinking at them and you're not really. When I gave everything up, God, it was a painful shock to meet myself as if I had disappeared aged 19 and reemerged aged 27 and gone, oh, my God, here you are. It's me. It's it's Alan Kavanagh. Here I am. Holy crap. We're alive. We're here. And we can... We don't have to do comedy. We don't have to be famous. We don't... You just... Al, what are you interested in? Why aren't you watching films anymore? What kind of music do you like? Where are your friends? What have you done this year? Like, what's your life? And then... I could start and then when I knew the same boy who had gotten 10 A's in the junior cert and what a joy and I was like I'm such a swat I'm amazing and the same guy who got the scholarship to Trinity uh, this was me he was the guy who had tried his hand at comedy and it had gone well but it had gone all wrong and he'd made some mistakes and here he was and life had gotten quite out of control but he was here and and there's time to change it if I just was willing to start living. What a conversation. One of my favourites of the series so far, without a doubt. And we decided to turn it into a two-parter. We'll bring you part two of this conversation with Al next week. And coming up next week... Therapy is mad. I remember meeting a therapist who said to me, uh, so tell me, you know, what's going on in your life? And I said, uh, well, I'm unemployed. My boyfriend's unemployed. Both his parents have cancer. My manager in England just died and I'm a national pariah. And he said, well, there's always going to be challenges in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. I love it. Fuck off. I don't have to do them all at once, you know. Bye bye for now. Hope to see you then. (laughs) 